You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. This episode is brought to you by Ancestral Elements Supplements. If you're looking for whole food, high-quality, wild-crafted supplements, look at Ancestral Elements Supplements. I offer a liver and colostrum supplement, as well as a wild bear clover tincture. With my background in food science, I'm able to personally formulate and create my own supplement line to ensure the integrity and quality of each product. In both supplements that I offer, none contain any fillers. They're strictly 100% food items, making them completely bioavailable and non-disruptive to the gut microbiome. For further information, go to AncestralElements.com and navigate to the supplements page. Now, here's the episode. Hi, and welcome back to the Ancestral Elements podcast. This is episode 47, Fiber follow the seasons. Okay, this week we are diving into the topsy-turvy world of fiber. We're going to talk about the different types of fiber, when to get them in the diet, when they're absolutely necessary, what they do, and whether or not the advice that we're given in the health and wellness space, given by dietary guidelines, passed down from doctors, and scientists, is accurate in regards to fiber intake. Fiber is one of those subjects in the nutrition space especially, that is constantly being pushed. And it's being pushed in a way that is very one-sided, you might say. Basically, the recommendations are women need to get about 18 to 25 grams of fiber in per day. Men need about 25 to almost 40 grams of fiber per day. And as we've seen from the majority of the population, people aren't getting that amount of fiber. When we think about fiber, more often than not, we go right to plants, right? Fibrous root vegetables, for example, cruciferous vegetables like cabbage, broccoli, things of that nature. So basically, people are being pushed to adhere to more fiber the better is basically how it's laid out. That's the case that dietitians lay out, doctors lay out, that are concerned with people not meeting their adequate fiber intake. It's important to know what fiber actually does in the body and the physiological processes that the body has to undergo to digest fiber or moreover ferment fiber because that's really kind of the end product of fiber. Fiber really is one of those things that people hear and they don't really understand what's going on beneath the surface. They kind of understand why they need to get it in their diet, right? It helps move your stool out, right? People kind of know that. They know if they're a little bit backed up, then maybe they need to increase their fiber to kind of bulk out their fecal matter to get it out of their bodies, which that's very true. But there's very, very complex interactions going on in the hindgut, in your large intestine, your colon more specifically, that need to be addressed when you're looking at fiber and talking about fiber. There are two types of fiber. There's what's called soluble fiber and insoluble fiber. Soluble, as you might expect, forms a gel-like substance in water. So think about chia seeds, for example, when you soak chia seeds or you make oatmeal. That's a soluble type of fiber, right? It kind of forms a gel gelatinous-like substance. When you ingest that, it remains virtually unchanged until it hits the large intestine or the colon, where it's then fermented by your microbiome. Your bacterial species will go to work and ferment those fibrous products into nutrients that can be extracted and absorbed 
into the body. Some of the main components that get broken down from that fiber are short-chain fatty acids. Butyrate is a primary metabolite of that breakdown process, where butyrate is a ketone. It's actually a fat that gets transported to the liver, where you don't really think about fats being extracted from primarily carbohydrates, from these fibrous types of sources. But that's exactly what happens, and it happens only in the colon. Your small intestine has really no practical application in the digesting of fiber. These short-chain fatty acids, such as butyrate, have a very big antioxidant profile to it. It helps inflammation and really is a very good regulator of the kind of immunocascade that happens between inflammation and antioxidants and redox pathways. In a supplement form, a lot of times you'll see it as beta-hydroxybutyrate or BHB, and that's just the, the metabolite breakdown from raw products with that amino acid profile that can break down to butyrate. You find it in a lot of cruciferous vegetables, like I mentioned earlier, but you also find it in animal products, in cheese, butter, things like that, which a little bit later on, I'll talk about fibers in animal products because we don't usually think about fiber in animals, but it's there and it's an important source. But we'll get into that a little bit later. So that's the soluble fiber side of total fiber or total dietary fiber, as you'll see it labeled in products. The insoluble fibers is the fibers that don't break down whatsoever and that you can't derive any energy from. All they really do is kind of bulk out your fecal matter and help kind of gather things up through the large intestine and into the colon and rectum so you can pass it out. They basically just help move stool through the large intestine. Soluble fiber, you can derive roughly 10% of total energy from that process, that breakdown process in the colon. Now it's usually hovers around more like 6% of energy, but it's somewhere between 6 to maybe 10% of total energy is derived from this process of the fermentation of these short-chain fatty acids that are derived from fibrous plant materials and animal products. Now, there's really no doubt that fiber in your diet is important, but there's a seasonality to wanting to get fiber into your diet. There's a time and a place to kind of utilize or leverage fiber in your diet, and that really is the springtime when you have fresh plant growth coming up because your microbiome shifts in the colon during the spring months because you've spent all winter eating heavier protein and higher fat content foods and that starts to shift the microbiome beginning in the fall and winter time. As you get through spring, your microbiome starts to get primed for richer carbohydrate foods via the bacteria that are sitting in the colon because the microbiome isn't this kind of static monolithic type process. It's changing with the seasons in accordance with the seasons. And so by the spring, your body is ready to take on some more carbohydrates because you've supplied adequate nutrition and energy via the small intestine for really months on end if you're eating seasonally within the fall and winter months. And so your body's going to be ready for some fiber. It's going to be ready to do some fermentation. You want to do fermentation when you've adequately supplied your small intestine and the rest of your body with proper amino acid profiles. And that's where we run into a bit of a roadblock in this day and age because we've pushed grains, whole grains, so heavily via the food pyramid or my plate over the past few decades that we've basically over-leveraged our ability to ferment fiber, and we've under-leveraged 
are protein and fat consumption because you need adequate amino acids digesting through the small intestine first before you get tons of fiber in your diet. And that's something that people don't really understand. You need nutrition first that's being extracted via the small intestine before you want to ferment a bunch of fiber because it only makes up 10% of total energy. You can't get that much. So if you're constantly overeating whole grains and plants, yes, it's good to get those fibrous things in, but you have to leverage protein. You have to leverage fat in order for the small intestine to be able to extract enough amino acids and proteins and build up the tissues for you to even be able to ferment the fibrous materials that are getting extracted from the colon. What happens when you don't get good adequate nutrition via the small intestine is that the small intestine becomes permeable or you get overgrowth of bacteria that you shouldn't have in the small intestine developing in the small intestine. And that's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO. That's what plagues millions of Americans. So getting good nutrition and enzymatic breakdown in the small intestine first before tons of bulk fiber gets into your body is very important. This is why eating cyclically and seasonally is so important because your body needs to ebb and flow with the seasons. It needs a break on fiber and that break should come in the winter months when you're eating higher protein, higher fat, and then you need a break from that. You need to ebb off of that a little bit and you can start increasing your fiber intake incrementally through the seasons of the spring and summer. Because what happens when you don't get adequate nutrition extracted from the small intestine is that it has to hit the large intestine, and the large intestine tries to break that stuff down, and it can't. And when that happens, things start to get inflamed. You get colitis, or an inflammation of the large intestine, or irritable bowel syndrome. In the past 17 years, ulcerative colitis has risen by 55%, and irritable bowel has risen by 83%. Those are huge, huge increases of people having inflammatory bowel diseases. In the past 20 years, what have we done with our dietary recommendations? You've seen people push whole grains over protein time and time again, as well as trying to push fiber. It's not boding well for people in the population. It's not working well. It's time to rethink this, and it's time to rethink it now. More and more people have to go on a FODMAP diet, which is basically eliminating all fiber when you have irritable bowel or colitis, any type of inflammatory bowel disease. You basically need to limit your fiber. You cut it out. What a lot of people fail to do in those scenarios, though, is they don't leverage enough protein and fat to kind of reset the small intestine and to get good enzymatic breakdown and metabolite breakdown via the small intestine so it can be shuttled into the cells. And I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that whole grains and fiber isn't needed in the diet because it absolutely is, but it's needed after you get proper nutrition via the small intestine. Once that happens, once the cell membranes are bulked up, once the intestinal membranes are bulked up, then then you can deal with a little bit of fiber increased. But then you need to lay off of it for a time and take a break because constantly getting it in starts to permeate the intestine, starts to permeate the colon. The colon is extremely thin-walled. That's why colonoscopies pose a risk because it poses a risk of puncture via the instrument being used to do the colonoscopy. It's a very, very thin-walled structure. Whereas the small intestine that's a very thick-walled structure. 
you wouldn't be able to puncture that with the colonoscopy scope. You have to use a scalpel for that. A very, very different structure from the small intestine to the large intestine. I know it's easy just to kind of bulk them into the intestines, and they just seem the same. But those are two very, very different physiological structures. And so by having really heavy bulked fecal matter, it can start to cause irritation. And so backing off of that occasionally for a couple of months a year in the wintertime is going to be a good thing because it can readjust those, not only the bacterial species, but the fecal matter that's being pushed through the intestines. It recalibrates things essentially. And if you follow this just practical advice of eating what's in season, then you're going to be eating high protein, higher fat, and easily digestible carbohydrates like squash and pumpkin and maybe some root vegetables, right? But you're not going to be eating a ton of cruciferous vegetables or tomatoes or blueberries. Leave that stuff for the spring and the summer months when your body is primed to digest those things. Timing matters so much. You know, eating seasonally isn't just about being sustainable or, you know, trying to be green. It's about actual biological nutrition. It's about leveraging what your body is doing physiologically and syncing that up with the food that is going into it so it can use it properly and easily so you're not hindering the physiology and anatomical structures. Because when that happens, it creates sickness and disease. You know, it's difficult for the hindgut, for the colon, to ferment a lot of plant fibers. You know, this is why extracting protein from plants and the whole suite of amino acids, it's difficult. It's because it has to go through a fermentation process. Whereas amino acids in the right profile in muscle meats, for example, in animal foods, they get extracted through the small intestine. It's a very, very different mechanical process that goes on. You know, we don't often think about you know, fibrous tissue being in animals, but there is. Think about cartilage, tendons, ligaments. Those aren't really desired parts of the animal in the West, but they're very, very important foods to keep in your diet. Not only for amino acid balance between glycine, which is found more in connective tissue, so cartilage, ligaments, tendons, versus lysine, which is found in muscle meat or organs. You want to keep a good ratio of glycine and lysine, but it's also important for the fiber component. You think about cartilage and kind of how fibery it is if you kind of chew it up. That's important fiber to be getting into your diet. We don't think of animals often when we think about fiber, but using the whole animal, eating cartilage, eating some tendon is really important for your health. And that's how you should be getting good amount of fiber in in the wintertime is you should be eating animal fibers, which this is something that really isn't talked about basically ever. It's really hard to find information. I'll link to a few studies that I was able to dig up, but it's not talked about a whole lot. But ancestrally, this was what we were doing. We were eating a lot of cartilage, a lot of connective tissue, and you can make it in appetizing ways. It doesn't have to be bad. It can be very satisfying. You know, think about soups. Pho is a great example, the Vietnamese soup. That's made out of cartilage and tendon, all that broth. A lot of times there's pieces of cartilage in there that you can eat. I mean, it's just a kind of a nice crunchy bite. Like you don't even really know. But those nutrients are very, very vital to build cell membranes, to build strong linings of the smooth musculature in the 
intestines, you know, to build up those epithelial cells so things don't get weakened over time and as we age, because things will kind of slack out a little bit. Things will get weaker and it gets harder for your digestion to work effectively. And so keeping these types of foods in the diet will help keep those things bolstered and regulated. But really, we focus on the least connective tissue cuts. When we eat a steak, for example, you know, a porterhouse or a prime rib, that's just pure fat and muscle meat. There's no connective tissue in that. You know, a flank steak would have connective tissue. But, you know, those are considered kind of undesirable or throwaway cuts, you know, stuff to be ground up in burger. But those are important to keep in your diet. They really are. You know, so bone broths, right, where you're breaking down that cartilage and that fascia, that connective tissue, and consuming it in more of a liquid form. Fantastic. That's why it's so important to keep that good glycine to lysine ratio, especially in the winter months. The winter months is when you kind of should be repairing the intestines a little bit, letting your digestion rest a little bit more, right? Eating maybe once, twice a day because you're getting higher nutrient value with less food, more nutrition, less calories. Whereas with carbohydrates, it's very easy to overeat in calories and undermine your nutrition. Right. This is what we continually do. We overeat grains. We overeat wheat. We get a surplus of calories and a lack of nutrition. And it beats up our digestion. It beats up the pancreas, releasing the digestive enzymes. And it beats up the intestines. This is why things are inflamed in people. So get your good nutrition first. And then you can go to some carbohydrates and some plant foods. But do it seasonally and make sure you're getting good nutrition ahead of time. And if you're wondering about getting pre or probiotics in your diet, you can get prebiotics through animal foods. You get it almost as good as you do through fruit in cartilage and tendons and ligaments in that connective tissue. It's about on par with kind of the standard control that is used in laboratories for fruit being a prebiotic. So there's ways to get it in in the winter months when you're not eating as many vegetables and fruit, which makes a lot of sense because ancestrally you wouldn't have had access to those things. It only comes through industrialization that we have access to those things. And this is why eating nose to tail when you're eating animals or fish for that matter is so important, right? The smaller fish, canning it, for example, sardines, mackerel, whatever it is, eat those bones, right? That's prebiotic material that will feed the microbiome just as vegetables and fiber does, which isn't talked about enough. You rarely hear that. You may have never have heard that before. And that's okay if you haven't because it's not talked about much. But I'm here to tell you that it's about the same prebiotic formation from animal foods as it is to fruit. And I'll link to a study on that if you want to check it out in the show notes. You can get your pre and probiotics other ways than just vegetables or just fruit. There are animal sources, which is why keeping a five kingdom approach is so vitally important. And I'll say it over and over and over again. You can't overeat one kingdom of food and expect a well-diversed range of outcomes. It's just not possible. Not for the long term. You know, you could go a few years like that, but eventually you're going to run into some issues. And typically it you run into digestive issues or nutritive issues or lack thereof if you're eating within single kingdoms or cutting 
complete kingdoms of life out of your diet. Now, if you do choose to run an experiment where you cut out kingdoms of life from your diet, for example, the animal kingdom, if you decide to go vegan, make sure you're getting in a lot of lacto-fermented vegetables in the wintertime. You need to build up that different bacterial species in the colon because getting eating fermented vegetables is going to ease the digestion of those carbohydrates and of that fiber a little bit because started the digestive process already when you're doing a lactobacillus ferment. And so getting fermented root vegetables in your diet, for example, in the winter is very important as well. And again, traditionally, that's how we've been consuming a lot of the root vegetables, turnips, carrots, cucumbers, for example. That stuff would be placed under fermentation so we could have it in the wintertime, ancestrally. And everybody should be doing that, whether they are vegan or not. But especially for people who aren't eating meat, you need to really think about how to ease your digestion a little bit in the winter months. That may mean a little bit more of fasting, but really leveraging protein, animal protein, is going to be the more sustainable option to let your digestion rest a little bit and to repair digestion in general. And by adding in fermented fibers from a lacto-ferment, for example, pickles, sauerkraut, whatever it is, that's going to help you digest that heavier protein. So pairing those two things together is fantastic for meals in the wintertime. Now, on the flip side, if you decide to go carnivore for an experiment, man, you better be getting in some good amount of bone broths and some canned fish where you can eat the bones, eat the whole fish, things like that, because otherwise you're going to be messing up your amino acid profiles and ratios and things are going to become pretty skewed. Really, that's why I'm not recommending any extreme diet on either extreme. Again, this is why keeping a balanced approach, although you can do it cyclically, is very important. So, you know, in the wintertime, it may look more like an animal-based diet, whereas in the spring, it might look a little more plant-based. But those two things balance each other out very nicely, and that's what you should be aiming for. You can be dogmatic, but just be dogmatic in the right season, please. And then, you know, let your dogma loose <laughs> as seasons change. But as far as fiber goes, it's not as easy as just trying to hit your, you know, 35 grams of fiber per day. You know, it sounds good and it looks good even on paper. You know, you get excess metabolite breakdown in the via the colon and it produces butyrate and bunch of other metabolites that can, you know, help fight inflammation and regulate cellular processes, but you can't do that constantly without having some damaging effects. And that's really kind of what we're seeing over the past 20 years or so, especially, you know, again, with the push towards heavier grains, it's beaten up a lot of people's digestion. You know, if you're feeling bloated after meals, that's not a good sign. That's a sign that the intestines are struggling. You're struggling to break down adequately in the small intestine, which leaves the large intestine to do more work than it ever should have to try to do, and that it can't do. It's not capable of doing that. This large intestine is very simple. It, again, it's thin-walled. You know, it's short. You know, it doesn't have the time to break stuff down. You know, by the time food gets into your stomach, it creates a chyme. Your pancreas dumps out about six cups of digestive enzymes per day to 
break down that food in your stomach and to kind of neutralize that chyme and then shuttle it into the small intestine. That's when your enzymes should be extracting most of the nutrients. Again, 90 Basically, 90% of the nutrients should be already extracted by the time it hits the large intestine. And if they're not, you've got a major issue. And it's going to start to hinder every single system of your body, your skeleton, your muscles, your skin, right? And that manifests in many of the symptoms and diseases that we're seeing in the population. The seasonal timing of eating is so important for your health and overall longevity. You know, of course, you can get away with not eating seasonally a little bit, but by and large, it's going to start to have an effect on your physiology and anatomy for that matter if you do that year after year after year. But the moment you start to sync up your seasonal food with your microbiome shifts, things will be extracted and utilized far, far easier. You know, we don't think about our digestion anyway unless there's an issue, unless there's bloating or pain or acid reflux, something noticeable. And with congruently eating with the seasons, you don't have to think about it and you won't have any negative symptoms, or at least they'll be greatly reduced more often than not. And so if you get in the habit of that, if you build those seasonal habits in with your meal planning and with the way you're eating, you're covering so much more nutritionally than the next person. And you're going to be set up to go into the next season. You see what I mean? So all of this dovetails perfectly into one another. And your body starts to be able to regulate and utilize things way more effectively. If you're not doing that or continually not doing that, then things slow down because then you're fighting your seasonal shifts in the microbiome, in the external environment. You're getting food that's being shipped across the world so its nutrients are greatly reduced anyway, right? The whole thing doesn't make a lot of sense. And so keeping this mindset in perspective as you start to shift seasons and you notice changes in the environment, you should be equating it with food and changes in food and in your own eating behavior. You know, if you ever get confused about any of this, just think back to what people had to do 250 years ago. And it'll put you on the relative track to be able to eat and think this type of way. And like anything, I advocate to keep about an 80-20 rule. You know, if you're eating seasonally about 80% of the time, then you can incorporate some kind of novel foods that you wouldn't normally be able to get access to 20% of the time. That's okay. But consistency on this type of thing is what is really important. The consistency will start to sync up your internal environment with the external environment. And that's really what this whole thing is about. It's about connecting back into the seasonal rhythms internally and externally because it's a reciprocal relationship. You're eating your external environment via species of food and kingdoms of life. And that's assimilating into your internal environment. That's all that's going on. It's just an exchange of energy via calories and metabolites. And the more you can reduce the novelty between those two environments, the more that you can sync those two things up and they happen naturally within the same rhythm, the better off you're going to be. You know, it's really not all that complicated. It's just we're so out of tune with it. It's foreign now, which is a shame. And it leaves this category of fiber being pretty confusing because you're handed this 
information of, you know, Americans aren't consuming enough fiber, you know, fiber, 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 we all need fiber. But then when you have gastrointestinal upset and inflammation, they tell you to ditch the fiber, that it's not good and going to be harmful, right? So it's this teeter-tottering that doesn't make a lot of sense for people. What this type of eating and thinking does is it balances all that BS out. It just cancels it all out and it keeps you in homeostatic balance internally and externally, which is all that anybody can ask for. Sure, you're going to have ups and downs. Great. Some days are going to be better than others. Even in the best of times, there's going to be challenges. And the more you can reduce the negative outcomes, the easier it's going to be to deal with those challenges. So get your fiber in. You know, fiber is an important tool to be utilized, but utilize it appropriately. And understand that there's different types of fiber. And fiber doesn't just come from fruits and vegetables. It can come from animal sources. So utilizing basically all three arms of fiber, utilizing the soluble fibers, utilizing the insoluble fibers, utilizing animal fibers via bones and connective tissue is very, very crucial to your nutritional well-being. And as we head further into fall and into winter, remember this type of eating. So as always, thank you so much for listening. Get outside into that fall sun or rain in some cases. Eat well-balanced five kingdoms. And I'll talk to you guys this next week. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, leave me a rating and review. This will ensure that people can find the podcast so that we can grow the audience. And it will help me secure guests for future episodes. If you have suggestions on what you want to hear on upcoming episodes, go to AncestralElements.com and leave me a comment. I would love to hear you guys' thoughts and inputs and answer any questions that you may have. 